I'm going to be reading from Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomar, the son, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, good morning, Christ Central. I'm glad I could share this time with you. My name is Josh Kim. I am one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, or if you're in town for the holidays, uh, we're glad that you could join us. Please do stop by Welcome Central Table. We'd love to get to know more of you and share with you what God is doing here um, at Christ Central Church. Um, and I hope that I know many of us enjoyed this break that we just had recently. And uh, we probably enjoyed our family. Uh, I know perhaps a lot of us ate a little bit too much. And I know that I did that. Uh, maybe we all shopped a little bit too much on a Black Friday. Uh, regardless of what... Um, I hope that you had a great break and great time with your family. But also, as you notice, as you walk up this morning, you realize it's December already, right? It almost seems like you celebrate Thanksgiving and you turn around and all of a sudden it's Christmas time is near, as one of our members reminded me today. Are you ready for Christmas? 24 days to go. Uh, it seems like the Christmas season is just about to begin. And this Sunday kicks up what we call the Advent season. Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, it means coming, which also gets the word in Greek called parousia, which means coming of Christ. Initially, it was to mark the expectation of the second parousia, the second coming of Christ. And throughout the tradition and the time, it has evolved into uh, the Advent season of waiting for the first coming, or Christ who first came, to celebrate what that really means for us. And regardless of what that may be, or whatever we think of Christmas, whether you go to a church regularly or not, one thing that's common for all of us here today, and most of us, as we uh, would testify, especially my son, who would say, gifts and break, is that we absolutely love the season of Christmas, don't we? 
This is one of the favorite times of the season, not only for all of us here, but many of us, many of our friends, our families, we love celebrating. We love just the Christmas spirit. We just absolutely love Christmas. You know, the second thing that we also all love as well, and we really, really love love stories. It is estimated that Almost all the movies that you watch, whether it's Netflix, Hulu, I've got a Disney Plus there now too, whether it's comedy, thriller, action, suspense, superheroes, even horror movies, you name it, contains something about love, something about falling in love or having something about love element to it. Nicholas Sparks is a well-known writer who has sold over 90 million books. 90 million books. And if you have never read them, it's fine. You probably know the movies that he, actually the, mov- the novels that made into the movies. Titles such as Notebook, like Message in a Bottle, A Walk to Remember. Like I didn't know any of this until I got married. But those are the movies that you got to know through Nicholas Sparks. And this is what he said. And the reason why he's able to sell 90 million books, and this is what he says. He says, I think that the novels succeed in accomplishing what they set out to do. If someone reads a thriller, what they want is to be thrilled. If someone reads a horror movie or horror novel, what they want to be is to be frightened. If they read a romance novel, what they want is romantic fantasy. So when people sit down to read my novels, what they hope to feel are all of the big emotions of life in a very universal yet original story in a time and a place that feels very real. He's talking about the love story that we all want to be part of, we all long for, and we live vicariously through as we read or watch a lot of these love stories. So we all love love stories. Christmas expectations of longing the joyful season that we love and the love story that we long for, we desire. So if you put the Christmas story, the Christmas expectation of hope, and if you put the love story, the desire of the love, you put that together and you have the story of Hosea. It seems a little odd to talk about Hosea in this Advent season, But I want to invite you to venture with me in this love story that we find in the Old Testament that captures the heart of the Christmas hope very well. Hence, the title of our sermon is is called Christmas Hope According to Prophet Hosea. Well, as you probably read, as you heard this morning, this is a story of a not a normal love story that you and I are used to. It is filled with drastic twists and turns. It is a story filled with heart-wrenching aches of love. Yet, this is a story that's filled with so much hope, so much hope. It is not just a distant story as well, something that we read about. But in this story, you and I find ourselves in it. And we could declare this is our story Our relationship with God is pictured so well throughout the story. We read Hosea chapter 1, but I'm going to fly through chapter 2 and chapter 3 to tell us about this story of unrelenting love 
unrelenting commitment, and ultimately, hope of Christmas. And as any good story is told, stories always have its beginning, the middle, often the climax, and at the end. And the beginning of the story begins with a command. The story of Hosea begins with God's command to Hosea, the prophet. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Uri, in the days of Hosea, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, all the kings, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. We see from the right off the bat, Hosea is a prophet. A prophet is a spokesperson of God's word. He was to deliver the message of God to his people. And often, to people who are in active rebellions against God. We often think, oh, wow, prophet, what's a great novel call that is. But imagine being called to speak to people that hate what you do. And you have to speak against it constantly, against the rebellious people against God, where disobedience is rampant. That's what Hosea is called to do. And soon, and you and I will find out, this calling is not easy. And you and I definitely do not want to be called a prophet. It's a hard job. The setting where Hosea worked, Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, this is a place where God was disobeyed. His word often plays a second fiddle to whatever people sought to do at this time. At the time when Hosea was a prophet, it was about 30 years before and leading up to the eventual destruction of Israel at the hand of Assyrians because of that same disobedience that God warns them about again and again and again throughout the Old Testament and through the prophets. And the task that Hosea is given here today as a prophet was to deliver God's warning of coming destruction to remind them of what was going to happen if you do not obey. And in hopes, in hopes that they will turn away from their wicked ways and come back to the Lord. And through his message, Hosea was also to give hope, hope of the future, message of love. And how is God going to communicate that news? Not only was he going to speak through Hosea, but he was to use Hosea's life as a living example. In verse 2, we are told that Hosea is commanded to woo and marry this young woman named Gomer. In verse 2, it says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Church, this isn't just any arranged marriage here. Rather, God is explicit in telling Hosea that Gomer is going to be unfaithful in marriage. Wife whose reputation and lifestyle is that of whoredom, a prostitute, unfaithful. This is a doomed marriage from the beginning. But Hosea, God's prophet, must obey God's command. After all, he is to speak against disobedience. And if Hosea did not know who Gomer was going to be, he would have surely found out as days passed by and he got to know her little by little 
by little. When the Bible describes Gomer as a wife of whoredom, it not only means that she slept around before the marriage, she's unfaithful in marriage again and again and again, threatening to break up the marriage union again and again and again. But Hosea is to continue in the marriage and to be faithfully wed to Gomer. And eventually, there's a son that is born. And perhaps, Hosea thought, just perhaps, Gomer will make a turnaround. We have a son after all. There's a light at the end of the journal. But this is just the beginning of the story. And what the Bible says, have children of whoredom, it also means just that. We're not even sure, eventually, who the children's father is. And Gomer is going to bear three children, God says, and each child is going to symbolize God's judgment on his people. When the firstborn son is born, God commands Hosea to name him Zezreel. It's like, that sounds nice. Zezreel, what does that mean? Zezreel, if you know the history of Israel, you don't want to name your son that, right? Zezreel is the name of a town. It carries like a similar reputation of like Auschwitz, like a concentration camp. When I was in D.C. a years ago, I had a privilege of going to Holocaust Museum. And the whole point of going to Holocaust Museum is for you to not to forget what happened and to remember a tragedy that happened during the Holocaust. So Zezreel for Israel served the same purpose. It echoes Israel's darkest history of apostasy. Rebellion against God. Zezreel is a city in Israel where apostasy under the previous king Ahab and his queen Jezebel, like you don't name your kids Ahab and Jezebel too, right? Came to its fitting end. It was in Zezreel that Queen Jezebel was thrown out from her windows and eaten by the dogs of the streets in drastic turn of God's punishment. So whenever Zezreel is mentioned, Remember, just being imagined called out, Zezreel, come back! Zezreel, come back! It's a message of it in itself. It means you must recall to mind how God will deal with spiritual adultery and spiritual holdom. That's what Zezreel means. And that's not the end. A second child is born, a daughter is born, a beautiful daughter, and you are to be called no mercy. And after this, young girl was weaned, the Bible tells us. The third child was born, a second boy, and his name was to be called, get this, not my people. Get that? And this is what the Hosea's family represented. The marriage and the children is to picture the current status of the Israelites. They were active in apostasy, doomed to be punished, Hatred and disobedience against God is your family and who this is. And even after repeated warning, again and again and again, they fail. Hence, they will be shown no mercy anymore by God of the universe. And they are declared not God's people, not my people. And this will eventually lead to their own destruction and an exile at the hand of Assyrians. And church, this is a great warning, not only for Hosea and for Israelites, but this is a warning for you and I as well this morning. The question is, where are you in your relationship with God this morning? 
Where are you in your relationship with God this morning? Perhaps this is not all that unfamiliar to your life. If you're honest, maybe, and just maybe, this is a picture of your relationship with God. And if we let the scriptures speak and offend us, and it may be indeed declaring to us this morning that you have not obeyed, you are unfaithful, and you have constantly astrayed from the Lord. We're both in sin of commission, active disobedience, and sin of omission, passive disobedience before the Lord. Often we have walked away again and again, and you are at the mercy of God's judgment. We are declared unworthy, far from God, removed from Him, away from the righteousness of our Lord. The question again is, where are you in your relationship with God this morning? Are you lost in all the festivities of this time? I think Christmas is one of those times where you think you are, quote-unquote, safe. You celebrate this holiday, and with a cultural progression of things, you think you are okay. But the scripture reminds us, and reminds again, beckons us to remember Christianity is not marked by cultural festivities. It is marked by your personal relationship with the Lord. This warning to Israelites is a warning to us. Where are you in your relationship with our God? The story continues in chapter 2. And the middle portion of the story becomes unthinkable for us as we follow. The story turns words. In chapter 2, verse 5, it reads, For their mother, Gomer, has played the whore, a mother. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who gives me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Do you catch that? It's all about I, my, I, my. The marriage turns worse. How? Not only Gomer here is unfaithful while with Hosea, we find out in chapter 2, she finally leaves Hosea behind. And just as drastic as Gomer's actions have been, she now leaves Hosea and her kids to pursue after her former way of life. And his unfaithful wife is worse. Deserting wife adds to that. Now Hosea is left with three children, a call as a prophet to preach to the people, a people like Gomer, and the whole world of gossip to boost. Imagine the back page news of the day. The prophet's wife is gone, right? Well, that's what he gets. He always tells us to fix our problems, but he can't even fix it himself. Like, what did he expect wanting to marry a wife like that? He got what he deserved. Good for him. Maybe he could start over. The question is, what's next for Hosea? Does Hosea actually do start over with his children? Does God come to Hosea at this darkest moment of his life and tells him, forget about her. Leave her behind. Unfaithful people, unfaithful wife, leave her behind and start over and I'll provide better wife, better people. Go somewhere else and live a life that you're meant to live. Is it what Hosea is called to do? Absolutely not. 
Hosea is not to forget, not to give up, and he doesn't, and he pursues, doesn't he? In the story, Gomer must have thought that her life is better away from being stuck at home with three children. A prophet husband who consistently, constantly, drawing people's snares and insults. She was lured by exotic foods, the experience. Perhaps she really thought the Instagram stories of the rich and glamorous were just in her grasp if she could just run away from the rules and regulations she felt like she was living under. But as is often for those who follow these fleeting desires, it seems to go right at first, but soon it all came crashing down for her, doesn't it? Gomer goes from men to men to men to finally someone who couldn't even provide for her basic necessities for her to live. So what? She got what she deserved, doesn't she? She's the one who ran away. She's rightfully punished for indulging in sin again and again and again. But Hosea goes. Hosea goes to whom? As one commentator suggests, not only to Gomer, but to Gomer's men who Gomer is with. And Hosea merely asks if he could provide money so that Gomer can be provided in chapter 2. And can you imagine the madness of it all? The man who is with Gomer must be thinking, you're coming to me for her? This worthless woman who has time and time again betrayed you. For sure you want to do this. And this man must be thinking Hosea is out of his mind. This is atrocity. What kind of man are you that you're willing to go this far for someone like her? But he gladly accepts the money and goes out, indulges himself in what he wants, and also brings home just enough food and necessities for Gomer. And Gomer, of course, at the sight of all this, thinks that this is given to her by her lover. All the while, it was Hosea who provides Gomer without receiving any credit. All the credit goes to her idolatrous lover. Verse 8 reads, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. What travesty, what tragic story. She doesn't even know where it comes from, but she praises the wrong provider. Oh, how foolish is Gomer again and again and again, even in the provision of her life, she is able to not go back, but continuously praise the wrong provider. How ignorant, how ungrateful, and how unfortunate. And as we rightly pity the heart of Hosea, church, again, this is a piercing for our soul, is it not? Oh, how often you and I are like this with our God. We just celebrate a season of things but how easily it is for us to forget that it is God who provides all things for us. How easily it is forget 
that the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the family and friends that we have, and all that is provided in our lives come from God and God alone. How often we look for other things to praise God for, and how often we take the praise that ought to be go to God to something else, and we forget that it is God who ultimately provides, it is God who sustains, it is God who created. Or how often we focus on the gifts itself, and we compare we seek and we want more and more and more and we praise the wrong things. We often rely on our work ethic and thank God for all that I had because I worked so hard for this God. Thank God for all the privileges I enjoy because I was born in the right way. Thank God all the things I do for the church and thank God for all the things that I have including my family and children and all that comes to me because it's all about the wrong things that we praise God of. And we often complain of lack thereof, all that we do not have. And we often shake our hands and fist at God and say, God, I thought you really, really loved me, and why won't you provide for me? As I see all these festivities going on outside, why don't I have enough? I thought you care. And once all the while, we continuously offer praises to the wrong things and offer ourselves, our bodies, after the flitting idols of the world. And here is the part of the story that highlights our sin and its fitting conclusion. The scripture tells us she did not know who it was. Let that pierce your heart. Yet she did not know who it was. She had no knowledge of who God was, who Hosea was. For we do not know who God is. And then we do not obey who God is. And the story drives further, much more towards the bitter end for Gomer. And you're thinking, where's the love part in this, right? You're waiting for this love story to blossom, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. And we all can expect it. Why? Because Gomer still doesn't get it. You hope she does, but she doesn't get it. And Hosea realizes this. And realize can't win her back even if he provides and keeps her living. So she just lets her be. Hosea chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I'll take away my wool, my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Let her indulge in sin. Let her be in the valley of Achor, as in chapter 2 verse 15. The acor here means trouble. Let her be in the valley of trouble. Let her be in despair. And perhaps, just perhaps, we agree this is the rightful end. Why? Because as scary as it sounds, some of us here, and quite often, we may feel that way about where we are with the God this morning too. We know that we don't deserve any of God's grace for some of us. And we say, Pastor, if you only knew what I did this weekend, right? If only knew what I've done in the past. If you only know the deepest, darkest parts of my life, if you only knew that, God would not forgive me. Let me be in my sin and let me go away. This is who I am. And that seems to be the rightful ending of this story. This seems to be the rightful end to Gomer's life. And that seems to be the rightful ending the world presents itself to be. You get what you deserve 
and you get what you don't. Uh, you, give, you do what you want, and you get what you deserve. And that's where we get to the end of the story in Hosea chapter 3. The impossible act of grace. The impossible act of grace in the ending of the story. When we get to chapter 3, it nears the end of the story of Hosea and Gomer. And we find Gomer at the end of this terrible fate. But God has another plan for her, doesn't she? Hosea acts in an unexpected, impossible act of grace. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, and though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shackles of silver, homer and lethic of barley, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. What we find is Gomer who's passed back and forth between men after men after men after men. Her life is ruined and finally gets to a man who sees her nothing in her life and decides to sell her into slavery. The ancient slavery in the Israelite times was a, uh, was a time when men and women were sold as animals as a means of financial gain. And this were happening in all the cities and main city quarters at the time. And the secular historians tell us that women were often stripped naked and stood before the gaze of the crowd as she was auctioned off to the highest bidder. Perhaps this is a fitting end for Gomer. She gets what she deserves, right? Ashamed, naked, for the world to see her folly, her stupidity, her mistakes, her impurity, all for the world to see sold as slave, suffering the consequences as a result. And just perhaps, just perhaps, we could feel the emotions that she must be going through. I deserve this. I'm at the end of my life. And as she's awaiting her fate to be sold as a slave, to be abused and to be used, to be thrown away and eventually die alone. She hears a familiar voice. I'll take her. She's mine. Take my money. I'll take her, cries Hosea. She is mine. And he bids and bids and bids again until he wins the right to our ownership. Fifteen shackles of silver and a homer and a lethek, which is a measure of barley. How much is it that you say? Not a lot, actually. According to Exodus 21.32, a female servant normally costs 30 shackles of silver. That means Gomer is not even worth that much at this point. But as few commentators would argue, for a prophet like Hosea, who is not rich by all means, the way that even Hosea paid for the price of Gomer, not all cash, as you see, but food as a part of the transaction payment, shows that Hosea perhaps gave more than he had 
just to buy her back. Perhaps, just perhaps, it may have, have costed Hosea all that he had at the moment, everything that he had, just to buy her back, who once was his beloved. And this is where it gets absolutely unthinkable, unimaginable. And although Hosea had absolutely every right to treat her as a slave, bought her as a slave, pay the money for that. Hosea doesn't buy her back as a slave to punish her, to keep her locked up, or to see her be punished and to gloat and to say, I told you so. I told you so. What have you done? Let you feel the pain that I have experienced. That's not what he does. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. I bought you at a price. It cost all of me. You are again my beloved. It cost all of me to buy you back. You are my beloved. And I don't want you to play the whore. I don't want you to be adulterous, unfaithful, chasing after the wrong things again. I don't want you to go after idols again and again and again. I want you to belong to me. You are mine. But get this. It says, so will I also be to you. You heard it right. It says, so will I also be to you. I will belong to you regardless of where you are, regardless of how you have been, regardless of where you have been. I will be faithful to you. You are my beloved. I declare that I am yours. Church, this is the story of Hosea and Gomer. And this is the gospel message this morning. Hosea's story and all that he does, the length that he's willing to go to show Gomer, his broken beloved. This promise we find in chapter 2, verse 16. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal or another word to say my master. No longer would you call me my master Belong, you will call me my husband. I belong to you. And this is the story of Hosea and Gomer. And there is more to this. This unlikely ending of Hosea and Gomer as now points to the another greatest story, greatest love story in the New Testament. It is a story of Christmas and all the hope Christ brings to us in this season. And what I mean by is this, this church, as we see, the Hosea and Gomer story is our story. For those who are in Christ, the Bible reminds us God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. Hosea 2, 14, 16 properly summarizes what he does with us. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wild wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyard and make the valley of Achor a rock bottom, the trouble, a door of hope. And there she shall answer, as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. Church, Scripture reminds us, this is our story. God comes to us first, doesn't he? He calls you, he woos you over. He speaks tenderly to you in his grace and love into your heart. And he gave you this hope and the future to remind us that he loves you, 
He loves you. He loves you while we are still in sin. And the gospel story reminds us that he loves us just as Hosea loved Gomer. And if you get this story, you get that there's nothing you could have done to make God love you. Rather, there's so much more that you could have done to push God away. And even today, perhaps you're doing that, just that, to push God away. There's no amount of goodness, actions, merits. This is simply a story of grace. He loves us while we're still sinners. And if you're a follower, a believer, a lover of Christ, God's unrelenting love caught up to you. And you couldn't help but to respond to him, and you said yes. And that's what it means to be a Christian. So overwhelmed with his love for you, that simply we respond to his unrelenting love to say, yes, I am yours, and you are mine. And if you have experienced that, oh, how he longs for you to utter the words, my husband, and not my bail. It's not an obligatory relationship, but a loving response the love of our God. And this is the ultimate end of the story. This Hosea story points to Christmas. And this kind of love story, the fact that you and I get to be in this story is only possible because of Christmas. Only possible because Jesus came to us. He comes to us. He comes to us. He comes to speak tenderly to us. He comes to speak love to us. He walks among us. He demonstrates Christ's love God's love for us, he lived his life, he died on the cross, he rose again to give us this grace. For God so loved the adulterous world, his people, he sends his beloved son to chase after you and I. Not only to chase after you and I, but ultimately to die, to buy you back at the price that cost everything of him, his life and the relationship he enjoyed with God. So if you turn and believe in him, you can have that eternal life where he is not a merely God of the story, but he is your Abba Father. And that's the Christmas. And that's the hope. And that's what we celebrate in this season of Advent. One of the joys of raising my son is declaration in his searching for me. He always says, Daddy! Daddy! And no matter what it is, wherever he calls, I run. And sometimes it's very important. Daddy, come look at what I drew for you. Does look nothing like anything he drew, but to me it's Picasso, Michelangelo, right? It's like, Daddy, I've done this. I grew this much. And it's very important. Sometimes it's very necessary. Daddy, Daddy. I'm like, what do you want, son? Can you help me put my shoes on? All right. Left first or right first, whatever it may be. And sometimes it's downright silly. It says, Daddy, Daddy, look at this piece of lint I found. <laughs> like, all right, come on me next time, but all right. <laughs> you know? But one of the most desperate times he cry, cries out, Daddy, Daddy. He says, I'm scared. It's too dark. And I come and I embrace him. And I say, Daddy's scared too, but we could turn the lights on, right? But one of the times then, I, sometimes I don't wish that he will call me, but it absolutely calls me above anybody else when he says, Daddy, Daddy, is whenever he throws up all over the place or whenever he poops. 
And you know what I do, church? I run the other way. No, I don't do that, right? (laughs) I don't run the other way. I run towards him. I run and run and run towards him. And my goodness, it's messy. And my goodness, it's dirty. And let no one tell you it's not that pretty. And it smells. And boy, it smells. And at times for him, it is downright fearful. And sometimes, sometimes he refuses to look at me too. But church, I embrace him as you would your son. And if I get my hands dirty in the process, fine with me. I run and I run and I run towards my son who is in the puddle of mess. And I believe this is what scripture teaches us this morning. Our God runs and runs and runs towards us in the puddle of our sin, in the puddle of our broken humanity, in our puddle of our adulterous heart, in the puddle of our idolatrous heart that goes away from God again and again and again. He runs after us again and again and again. He comes to us in his human flesh to walk among us, to live, to die. So you and I, as we learned last week, can receive his righteousness. And that's the Christmas hope. This is my story. This is your story. Is this the story that you long for? The Christmas hope that you picture this season. Join with me in prayer as we anticipate coming of Christ together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Hosea and Gomer. Off the bat, though, we think about Gomer as someone that's so distant from us. But as you read through this story, as we told, we were told of the story again and again, reminded that, Lord, we're perhaps just like that Gomer. Actually, Lord, honestly, most of us, all of us, including myself, we're actually worse than Gomer. We often run away and away, shake our fists at the Lord. And scary sometimes, Lord, we pretend like we're good, we pretend like we're in it. But all the, all the while, we use you to get what we want. We abuse you for our gain. And Lord, Christmas can be a time of festivities, time of great hope, but it also can be a time that we could just be like Gomer, using this time for our gain. Lord, as we celebrate this season, as we've been walking in sonship, learning about what it means to be adopted as your sons and daughters as a church during this season, teach us, Lord, to know that our God loves us and went to great length in this whole season as a proof that you have demonstrated that love for us by sending your son to die for us on the cross, to rise again. May that be true of us, true of our children as we teach and a church that longs for the coming of our King. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.